Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, Mark 9 is where we're going to be tonight. And before we read that, I just want to uh, thank David for letting me preach this summer, for you guys to um, come every week this summer and to um, hear this series about living on mission. And tonight, tonight we're closing the series, and um, it just some has been challenging for me, and I hope if not more challenging for you. And so if you're there in Mark chapter 9, we will be in verse 14. If you're there, uh, if you would stand with me, please read. (coughs) Oh, sorry. Um, You're you're in verse 14. um, The ESV reads, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with him? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You can be seated, and let's pray together. God, just thank you for this summer. Thank you for this internship, and thank you that a church like Crossway is wanting to train the next generation so that guys like me could come here tonight and speak before a group of people, before my peers, and uh, just praying, Lord, that as we come here tonight to hear a word from you, that I may speak only what you would have me to say, nothing more and nothing less, and that you would get all the glory from it. And whenever, wherever your name is being proclaimed tonight, that you would get all the glory and that you would be rightly proclaimed and rightly described and just that correct doctrine would be preached here that correct practice could be walked out of here that we could live a life that glorifies you that lines up with your word and that we're in it daily that we're praying and we're just giving all the glory and honor to you and everything we do know tonight that there's people in here hurting and struggling and different burdens, different things that are weighing us down, God, and I pray that what we've just read tonight can 
rightly applied to our pain, whatever struggles we're going through, whatever situations are in this room tonight that may the true you or who you are and that you deserve our praise, our worship, and everything we can do. And you come stand as head. Amen. So the question asked tonight is, what went wrong? Now this question you can ask in multiple ways. For the guy who goes on a date with a girl and thought the date went well and then the girl never calls him back or basically ghosts him and he's what went wrong? I mean, I thought the date went well. I kind of attractive, not the ugliest guy in the world. Like, what went wrong? Or you're the employee who thought he deserved a promotion and you're like, I mean, best worker here, I'm the hardest worker, I'm the ugliest guy in the room. Like, I should get the promotion and then Joe over there gets the promotion. You're like, Joe's stupid. Like, why does he get the promotion? Like, what went wrong? Like, we can ask that question so many different ways in life. And sometimes, like this series we've been talking about, Living on Mission, you do it. You live on mission. You live doing the things God's called you to do. And something happens, whether that's a, a bad child, whether that's a family member getting sick, whether that's some situation where you look up to God and you're like, what went wrong? I'm doing everything you want me to do. I'm doing the things that would glorify you, the things that would bring glory and honor to your name, and yet you put this in my life. What went wrong? And he just read a story about a boy who was possessed, that a spirit would enter him and would make him do terrible things, and the spirit would leave, and the boy would live a life, and then the spirit would come back, and you keep repeating the cycle, and then the disciples come, and they try to cast the spirit out, but then they can't. And a little context here, what happened before this, Jesus had just taken Peter, James, and John up the mountain where he was transfigured before them, that Jesus, a normal-looking man, then all of a sudden became radiant in glory and became something that the disciples were terrified to look at. But verse 3 in chapter 9 says, And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. But these three men who claimed to know and believe Jesus as Lord, sees this and were terrified. Then they come down from the mountain only to see that the other disciples were trying to heal this boy of an unclean spirit within him. And a little context here that in chapter 6, Jesus had sent these disciples out to heal people, to cast spirits out, and the disciples were doing this. Like, this wasn't, he gave them the authority to do this, and they did it. And when Jesus went up to the mountain, the disciples, the other nine disciples, were away for probably like six days. So for six days, they're casting spirits out, they're healing people, they're living life on mission. They're doing what they were supposed to do, and then this boy comes, and all of a sudden, they can't. Why not this time? So we, re- we go back to verse 14. When, the dis- when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. When they saw the person of Jesus, they were amazed. They were arguing in their 
little circle, and then Jesus came, and they're like, that's one. And then they left. Jesus, wondering about the argument, wondering why the commotion, asked them, what are you arguing about with him? So we just read the disciples, they can't seem to heal this man. This unclean spirit is within him. They can't cast him out. And we can probably suggest that the disciples are just being embarrassed for not being able to do this. They follow Jesus, proclaim what he does. And, I mean, honestly, no one, I think, likes to be embarrassed. You know, from the summer, I took some weird training because young training for summer, I'm like, man, I just want to get out of here. Like, it's embarrassing, right? Being embarrassed in front of one or two people is not bad. When it's 30 people, you're just like, what's going on? I don't like this. Then you look what happens. That verse 17 is someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. Think of the father's suspense. He hears that Jesus is sick. He finds his disciples, brings his child who's been having the spirit go into him, possessing him, making him rigid, grinding his teeth. He finds his disciples and says, okay, I've heard the stories. They've been casting spirits out. I have hope. My boy can finally have the spirit taken from him. But then brings his boy to him. They fail. Or maybe he's disappointed, frustrated. Maybe he's lost hope. He's like, I haven't been able to do anything my whole life to get my boy the help he needs. And finally, some people come that I thought could help him, and they can't. Jesus isn't around. His disciples can't do anything. So then Jesus does come. So then maybe hope does return. And that his boy may get healed. So he brings him. And, I mean, what the spirit does to this boy is disturbing, that he's mute, so he can't talk. This unclean spirit takes control of him, throws him down, foams out of the mouth, grinds his teeth, rigid, a father whose child is suffering, and he is powerless to do anything about it. Powerless to help his boy, who he probably loves with all his might. And then he brings him to the one who can do something. And you may be here tonight, and something in your life looks like you're powerless in a situation where you have no idea what you can do. You can only do what you're called to do, but the situation's out of your control. You've lost hope. And so much pain, so much suffering, so much, so many tears. Bring those struggles to Jesus. Do what this father did, this first step of bringing his boy to Jesus. Bring your struggles to Jesus. Lay them at his feet. His shoulders, they're bigger than yours. And then this father, he brings his child to Jesus. And what's his response? Verse 19. He answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So the first point we see, a lack of faith. That Jesus, speaking to the crowd, speaking to his disciples, speaking to this present generation, says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Rhetorical question. That he's addressing the people as a whole. That this faithless generation is the unbelieving people he encounters every day. What more do people need to believe Jesus is the Son of God? Miracle after miracle, blind man after blind man, the lame walk, people who are in deep physical need, and they were not only given their physical need, but their spiritual need. He kept 
doing the same thing over and over, and the people still kept not believing him, still kept saying, we want more. Do another miracle. Do something else. And Jesus just didn't just satisfy with these crowds. And that includes right now his nine disciples, the ones who, if anyone should believe him, they should. They keep seeing every miracle. They keep seeing him feed the 5,000. They keep seeing him tell the waves to be calm. They had a lack of faith in the one who was faithful, a lack of faith in the one who is, who would and will never let them down. The people at this time struggled with faith, and the, we as a people now, we even struggle having faith. And then we keep reading in verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This verse shows an evil spirit who knows he's about to lose control of the boy. The spirit knows who Jesus is and knows that Jesus has power and authority over him. And he responds for the last time to try to destroy this boy, to try and destroy this person who bears the image of God. Now, at the beginning of Mark 9, Jesus and the three disciples go up the mountain, and we see a beautiful picture of Jesus that's so white that no one could see perspective, so white, and radiant, bright, full of glory. Transfigured on the mountain to the disciples were terrified. They didn't know what to do. They were speechless. Peter suggests something about making three tents for him, and he's like, what are you doing? We're not making three tents. Then they come down the mountain and they see the worst circumstances, violence, destruction, all bent on destroying what God has made in this world. That we as humans who bear the image of God and sin destroys it. Evil just continues to destroy that. That man is man and woman is woman. And evil has made it to where there's no gender. That marriage is between a man and a woman and evil has destroyed that. That the story in Mark shows the contrast between goodness and evil. The goodness of who Jesus is, the goodness of who he looks like, the evil of this world. And it just gets worse for the boy. In verse 21, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And then they lost him, cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Then the father pleads, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father is pleading, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. But you see the father's lack of faith. I wonder how he said it, right? I wonder what stories he heard of Jesus. Like, Jesus, I know you've told some storms to be quiet. I know you've fed like 20,000 people. I know that you... um, made water into wine. Like, I wonder what stories he heard about this Jesus. And then his boy has a spirit, and he looks at Jesus and says, well, I mean, if you could do anything. I mean, I know you're busy. I know, like, you have things to do. Like, I know the spirit is pretty evil. So, like, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That'd be, that'd be the equivalent of me looking at Gordon Ramsay and ask him, I know you're a chef, pretty popular, make some cool food, 
could you make me craft that cabinet? Could you, I mean, I know it's difficult, and it might be super confusing, but, like, Gordon Ramsay's going to listen to the audience. Yeah, of course, and he'd probably use some colorful language, but he's going to tell me, yeah, I can make you mac and cheese. And asking Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has been with the Father from eternity past, who has done miracle after miracle, bringing people from death to life, and you want to ask, if you can, have compassion on us. Like, of course he will. Look at what Jesus says. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. That Jesus puts the phrase back on the Father. That the Father is saying, if you can, and Jesus says, if you can. One commentary says, as regards your remark about my ability to help your son, I, will t I tell you everything depends upon your ability to believe, not on mine to ask. So Jesus puts the burden back on the Father. Because the issue here is not Jesus' power to heal this boy. It's not that Jesus can't get the spirit out of him, but on the Father believing Jesus can heal this boy. And that the challenge is for this Father to believe who Jesus is. Now let's address the issue. Preachers, Christians, any kind of person that can read this book, like this this passage has a center field, and some preachers just take it like way foul ball left field and say, well, if you muster up enough faith, that Lamborghini is coming. That 401k that has 20 million in it, it's coming. Like have faith and you'll get this. Have faith and you'll get everything you've ever wanted. But that's not, not the point Jesus is making here at the Father. Rather, the Father does not believe. If you can, have compassion on us. Jesus can. That's, that's not the question here. Jesus can get the spirit out of this boy, but the question is, do you believe? And we ourselves in this room pray prayers that go outside of what God's word tells us. That we pray, God, I know that you can heal my family member, my great-grandfather from cancer. And I know you will. And it's, you don't know that Jesus is going to heal. You don't know that God's going to heal your great-grandfather. You don't know that. And then we go the other way where we pray for our great-grandfather to be healed from cancer. But in the back of our mind, we're like, God really can't. I don't really think he will. I don't think that's going to happen. And the problem is both of these, both of these are wrong. Because what this text is telling us is Jesus putting it back on the Father saying, you currently don't believe I can. And if you continue to not, then your son will remain how he is. But if you do believe, then maybe the spirit will be cast out of him. That the Father's current position of doubting, if he doesn't believe, then it's just going to stay the same. But if he does believe, maybe it will change. this father for years has seen his boy struggle from this unclean spirit with no hope that one day he may be healed from it standing there powerless before his son and then when he saw the disciples of jesus in town hope hope that his boy would be healed and then the disciples came to it and they were gone so maybe the father's down but then Look at what the father says in verse 24. And that's where we get our second point. That there's been a lack of faith, but now we see that power is through faith. At verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
the father wants to believe with everything he wants to believe Jesus can heal his boy, that the spirit may be cast out of him, that years and years he has seen his boy tortured, and Jesus, the Son of God, standing right before him, who has the power to cast out, he cries, I believe, help my unbelief. An honest answer, transparent answer. A man whose faith was imperfect, but it was real. A faith this man declares publicly and recognizes his weakness. He pleads for help. He believes something needs to change here. The man makes a conscious decision to believe, yet an honest answer that he is struggling to believe and is calling on God for greater faith, a greater trust that Jesus standing before him can heal his boy. And sometimes all we can do in a situation in life, all we can do is cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. That whatever it is that we just, we don't know what to do. So we just cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. And as we make the conscious decision to believe in God, believe in who he says, believe in the promises he makes, and teach that our faith is weak and we need help to overcome our unbelief. And then you get to verse 25. Jesus saw the crowd that came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. The authority of Jesus on display, the whole gospel of Mark, story after story, showing that Jesus has authority over nature, over demons, over sickness. He has authority over the spirit, rebukes the spirit, and not only to come out, but to never return to this boy ever again. Demon would possess the boy, the boy would be in pain with seizures and other symptoms, and then the demon would leave. Leave for maybe a week, maybe a month, and then it'll come back. And then Jesus then frees this boy. But then he, the text tells us it's as if he's dead. He's just there as a corpse. Like, wonder how much time had passed by. Hope was there. Jesus was there, rebuked the spirit, and then boy falls over dead. Like, Something's missing. Maybe the people were a bit confused, like, thought we were about to see this boy just walk up and start going about business like no demon was there in the first place. Some may have been angry because the boy is alive, and then Jesus comes, and now he's dead. And then verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Like, you can probably picture it. The crowd's just cheering. Father's giving massive hugs to the his boy, the disciples, to Jesus, like, I mean, we don't know, but we can just only picture it and think of the sight here. This boy who was just possessed is now free. You see Jesus in the beginning of this chapter, transfigured on the mount, and the picture of the evil, how it mars the image of God, how it just, whatever word I'm looking for, not good. And then Jesus rebukes the spirit, and the boy is no longer possessed. He's now free. Things have been restored. Faith has been strengthened. We've seen a lack of faith. We've seen that power through faith. And finally, we see what went wrong. And that the third point is that power is unstable. And you look at verse 28, and when he had entered the house, 
his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Jesus went away from them, went away for six days probably. And the disciples did what he commanded them to do. They, they preached, they cast out evil, they healed, sickness. You could say that what the Lord commanded them to do, they lived on mission. They did. Jesus commanded them to do something, they did it, and they were doing it. And then this boy shows up. This evil spirit possessed this boy, and one disciple tried, didn't work. Another disciple tried, didn't work. Several disciples tried, didn't work. And you got to think the disciples are like, why? What went wrong? For six days we were doing this, and now all of a sudden we can't. And then Jesus answered them. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And the thing here is that the disciples, they deceived themselves. They must have figured what they were doing came from them. What they were, that wasn't always the case. They went six days doing what Jesus told them to do, being dependent on what they were doing came from Jesus, that the power was not from within themselves, but from Jesus. But then they became self-reliant. They forgot to remember the power didn't come from them, that it came from God. They, they weren't radically dependent on God and his power. Because of this inner flesh versus spirit battle where they became, they, they ended up becoming reliant on themselves. And because of this, they didn't think they prayed. And Jesus, he then teaches them this point. That the faith which brings power is a faith that prays. The disciples of Jesus who were living on mission until they forgot to be dependent on God. And here's, and here's the main point that I want to bring across tonight. If you don't get anything at this point, you will never live a life on mission if you are not radically dependent on Jesus. If it's true that Jesus was transfigured, if it's true that he's the son of God, if he's true that he came and died and rescued us from our sin, then he's worth putting our faith into He's worth having our whole life being dependent on him. So two implications I want to bring out tonight. If you believe Christ can fulfill his word, then your life will be given to prayer. And this, I mean, this isn't easy. Like, prayer might be one of the hardest disciplines to do. I mean, if you don't, if you don't believe this statement, then... I would ask, like, what would happen? What would happen if you lived your life without praying? What, what's, I mean, we saw what happened with the disciples. They decided not to pray, and they couldn't, they couldn't free this boy from You can't believe this truth and go on living life as if nothing happened. Something has to change. Something has to change in our minds that we cannot continue to read our Bibles. We cannot continue to read the promises made in this book. We can't continue to live life unchanged when we read this word, when we read these promises and live life as if nothing's different. What will it take for you and I to believe and live out the promises of God? My Bible reading today was Matthew 28, where this whole series started. That Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. And at the end of the passage, he says, I will be with you till the end of the age. 
what will it take for you and I to believe and live out the promises of God? Then the second implication is if you give your life to prayer, then there will be power in your life. And you've heard David, I don't know how many months we've said this phrase, but he talked about living with a prophetic edge. And that a life on mission will make people wonder what's different about you. That why you can respond to situations with joy or peace. Situations that this world would tell you you have every right to do this, this, or this. And this, this, or this is not God glorifying, but what you're doing is way radical, way different, way the world, it's confusion. People wonder how you can live your life with direction and purpose and be persecuted for what you believe and yet still continue to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Like, it's confusing. When you live with power in your life, you encourage one another living life with you. Your Christian friends will come to you for wisdom and counsel because something's different about you. Your unbelieving friends will come to you in times of need because something's different. Like, they don't know what it is, but they see something's different about you. You're living with a prophetic edge because there's power in your life. People went to the disciples to get healed and demons to be cast out because they lived life on mission until they didn't. Until they became prideful and relied on themselves. And as I mean, we're wrapping this series up We'll try to live life on mission, and we'll succeed at times, but then we'll fail at times too. We'll fail to live a life that glorifies God. We'll do things. We'll mess up. We'll struggle in our fight against sin. But Christians who live a life devoted to prayer, who believe in Jesus of this chapter, Jesus of this gospel, Jesus of this book, will live a life devoted to him, living a life on mission, for the glory of God, the spread of his name and his glory in their life, their job, their school, their friends, their family, all for his glory, all for his honor. Summer's ending. School's starting back up for some of you. Some is just life as usual. But as a college ministry, as we've listened for eight weeks now, living life on mission, making time, desiring the right glory, dying to ourselves. All these different things we have brought before you from God's word. But all we could do all of that and we could forget prayer and it will all go wrong. And then we'll be wondering what went, what happened. So let's be a college ministry who's devoted to prayer, devoted to Jesus, devoted to making his name known where it's not known. Something has to change. And may we start to live out what we preach. That we start to read our Bibles. We read a promise from God and we live that promise out. That this whole series started from David giving the intro from Matthew 28. And that promise and that and that great commission, that I will be with you to the end of the age, that he's with you in your job, that he's with you in your school, that he's with you in your family setting, he's with you with your friends, he's with you where you go, 
And are you living a life on mission, bringing glory to his name, making people wonder what's different about you? What makes them click? They're always smiling. They're always joyful people. Nothing brings them down. I can bring so much trash talk to them, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They live differently than me, and I don't know that. Living a life on mission is sometimes the best way we can get our unbelieving friends around us and see why it's so important. And even encourages your Christian friends, your small group friends. So the band's going to come up, and if you give your life to prayer, then there will be power in your life. We all want there to be power in our lives, that when we do things, when we say things, when we give counsel to people, that it's coming from God's word. It's coming from a life lived out on mission.